doing too much. Oh, there it is. We got the red dot up now, man. Cool. So here we go, Angela. Here we go. We haven't done this in a while, so I got to pause for a second, right? And get ready. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the fall line with KS and Company. I'm Dave Caper, and I'm here with my buddy Angelo Ross, and we are psyched to be back. It snowed here in New Hampshire, and uh, I think it snowed in PA. He said he had more wind. I didn't see much snow down there. Maybe he's going to come north this week up to Stowe. But uh, we are here tonight with Mike Hafer, Alpine team member, third term um, from out west. He's uh, probably hasn't even had dinner yet. So, we got him on the podcast before he even ate, so we'll see how he survives. We'll try not to keep him all night, but we do like to chat. Um, Angelo, what's going on, buddy? Uh, nothing. How long yeah. has it been? A month. We haven't been. It's we been a month for a month since, since murmurs. I'm so like we got Mike here tonight, man, because people have been asking, when are we going to do another one? And here it is. We got to load this one out there quick. Yeah, the, the people but, um, are disappointed. Yes, they were. They were last week when we were on the road. But uh, looks like Mike, you're still in the office. I think. No, actually, I'm at home. So, Are you? oh, cool. No, I I got off the hill. I got off the hill. I'm home at five. And yes, um, my lovely wife is making a pizza upstairs. I can smell it. So I may get <laughs> sidetracked here just a little bit as we go forward. That's okay. That's the chaos we love on here. Because Jake, we used to have Jake on the bed. And Jake would make lots of noises. The cats would run across Angelo's desk. And now he's down in the office downstairs. So it's a little different. I think given the choice between pizza and us, I'd take pizza too. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's probably beer with that pizza too. <laughs> oh, well, hey, while we've got you here, Mike, the first question, there's so many people out there. I know Lil Pearson from up at, in there, the Balsams, when we used to ski at the Balsams, unfortunately can't ski there anymore. They closed down. Less thought in trying to get it open, but uh, Lil always loves this question. She loves us to ask, "How did you learn how to ski?" And you know, how old were you? Who taught you? Was it family, friends? Was it a ski lesson, or some other fun experience? I love this question. <laughs> so, uh, my first experience skiing was I was twelve years old in Michigan. It was Cannonsburg, Michigan. I think it was. One of those after school events. It was definitely after school, right? And big time in the Midwest where everyone skis four or five o'clock at night, get on the hill for a couple hours, and there you go. So went up there with a couple of friends, and um, uh, my buddy named Todd Dubridge brought me out, said, Hey, we've got to go, you've got to go try this. And um, so he brought me to the top of the, the Bunny Hill in Cannonsburg and said, All right, just make a snowplow, you'll be fine. We'll meet you at nine o'clock. Well, you can imagine how that went. And um, <laughs> I, I, I met some new people in the lift line when I crashed into the lift line after my first or second run. And um, anyways, um, just fell in love with the with sliding on the snow. Um, I did not like the rope toe. And um, but uh, I got that figured out that night. But um, yeah, but other than that, I didn't ski much until I was... 24. So maybe I had, I think 30 or 40 days, we'll call it 40 days up until the time I was 24. And that's when I started getting into it and started attending real lessons and real clinics with uh, certified instructors. Wow. I didn't know it was that late. I, that's, that's probably the latest we've heard. One of our team members, don't you think Angelo? 30, 40 days. I, and then I 24. That's the record. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I thought wow. I thought Andy Dockin I thought Andy Dockin was in the realm or something similar. He and I had some similar uh, pathways there coming up through the ranks. So, oh man, that is so cool. So so skiing wasn't a big thing when you were real young, um, 30, 40 days. Um, so when you said you started taking lessons and all that after 24, I mean, did it start then like the obsession right on when you started taking lessons or was it still kind of a slow start? Actually, the obsession, and I don't know where the obsession came from. It was, it was 12, 13. It was after that first experience where... I, um, a couple of ski magazines landed on my doorstep um, somewhere, somehow, and um, just started thumbing through them. Um, and it was, it was Ski Magazine, I remember back in the day. And um, yeah, somehow I just had an attraction to the mountains and then obviously to, uh, to the sport. Um, I grew up in Michigan, uh, addicted kind of the first time, the first feeling of sliding on the snow. Um, my uncle who helped me get into this, and I think we'll get into this a little bit later here. He, um, he was an instructor and for quite a while, um, I always found it fascinated listening to his stories about living in Colorado at the time, uh, where he was teaching at Copper and Crested Butte. Um, and I, maybe that was part of the addiction as well, but, um, yeah, I, I don't remember, but I always had a draw for the mountains. And um, it was one thing growing up in Michigan with snow on the ground, but the mountains were something else that they always fascinated me. What were some of the other sports you played when you were younger? Because you weren't on uh, the wrestling. <laughs> Correct. Wrestling and football were my, uh, were my two sports. So, um, yeah. I, I, and when I look back, I think, I think those sports, um, especially when it comes to an athletic stance, really helped understanding uh, – how to stand, how to be ready to move. And, um, obviously then all the fitness that comes with the, with those two sports. But, um, yeah, those were the sports that I grew up with. And that's interesting. We haven't had someone talking about wrestling, Angelo, and, you know, watching the MMA stuff. And we think about the base and, and, and how balanced they are when they're getting hit by things and pushed out of the way. I mean, that has to be a big factor of how you're balancing. Yeah. I think that's a great point because, and often I relate in my lessons, if I have someone that has um, some type of either martial arts or wrestling background, um, you deal with a lot of momentum and you figure out how to move and, and how to remain up is a good way to put that um, because someone's always trying to take you down. So maybe a little like skiing moguls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where he gets all that activity. When we see all, every time we see you in the bumps, we, we definitely see the dolphin turns come out. <laughs> It was, yeah, because I think there was just a photo it on Facebook or Instagram a few weeks ago in, in there with the new uniform with the uh, doing the little dolphin there tips coming down. Yeah, and I, I love the comment on that one. Someone posted something regarding uh, just because of the um, angle of one of the shots. Someone posted, um, I didn't know you know how to model ski. Um, one of the shots looked like the skis were tied together. So yeah, that, that had a lot of, uh, <laughs> that shot, I think had a lot of attention. So, <laughs> and I apologize to the, to whoever made that comment. So. Uh, yeah. Angela, you had something there, I think. Well, I, I was, what I was going to say was, I, I think it's interesting that rest, wrestling and football, you, it's not just dealing with pressures that are coming at you and, and energy coming at you. You have to learn how to generate it. 
and push back with both of those sports. And it's, I think it's a pretty solid parallel to the martial arts too, you know, and that mm. my, my, my 12 to 24 year old range, I was skiing a little bit more than maybe you did in those couple of years from 15 to, to 24, but the, the martial arts, Mike, were huge in learning how to stand in a stable posture, but not a, not a rigid or static posture, like a, a dynamic and moving posture. I think there's a lot of value to all those, all those activities. Yeah. And, and I think leverage plays a big role in that too, because when you learn how to move and, and leverage your body against someone else, because there were guys that I went against that were, that had less strength than I had at the time. And they were able to beat me, um, uh, on a number of different levels and under yeah understanding leverage how you can how you can create strength through leverage um was a pretty was a pretty neat thing to start to understand i think and then like you said just to transfer those or that those experiences forward really helped so yeah i think there's something to that yeah that's pretty cool We'll have to, um, maybe we can get um, some wrestling going on between the team members. That'd be fun. Like at Masters Academy, we'll have like a big wrestling tournament. I'm, I'm not sure Troy would win that. <laughs> <laughs> is, there a dunk, or, is there a dunking contest? <laughs> Might be able to win the dunk contest. <laughs> Poor Troy. But um, <laughs> no, the, the, one, the one that I worry about, the one that I really worry about is bringing Eric Lipton back because oh. I, I think that guy, I think that guy packs some power. So yeah, yeah. he's, he's we, the one I'm going to avoid. Yeah, we could put, we could put Lipton, yeah, bring Lipton back and we'll put Lipton with uh, Matt Boyd. That'd be Perfect. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt can be pretty scrappy, I think. Jeb would just be over there laughing. He would, he wouldn't. He's like, "No, nah, I'm the head coach. I can't get involved in that." Oh man. So, so what are some of your your earliest fun memories? I mean, you said you started learning at twelve and uh, kind of skiing with buddies and that. I mean, what were some of the fun things that you did with them through those early years skiing? Man, it was. Um, yeah. It, we made the best we had out of what we had. And, and if anybody had ever been to Cannonsburg and, and I, I know a lot of folks um, listening to this have been to really small Hills, right? A couple hundred vertical. Um, you make the best out of it. If there's, if there's a little bump, you turn it into a jump. If there's not a bump, you built a jump. If you built a jump, you were prepared to get your ticket clipped by ski patrol at the time. <laughs> how, how times have changed, right? So yeah. dating myself a little bit there, but um, we made the best out of it. And um, I think that was, that was the cool thing is how um, we came together for common ground or common vision, right? In, in trying to make it down the hill with the most fun that we could have. And then it was just camaraderie between each other. And that's what it was really about. And so that, those were my, you know, when I think about 12 to 18 or whatever the case, and then from 18 to 24, um, if those, if those of you who don't know, I was in the military and I had some opportunity to ski in Italy and France, um, a couple other places, Austria. And again, it was about the camaraderie. And I remember there was a time where it was dumping snow in Italy and I was out there and blue jeans and um one of our foul weather jackets which i think was like made out of canvas or something yeah I, I don't know whatever it was made out of it definitely wasn't the high-tech north face gear that we have now but um but um you know i mean no hats you know leather gloves whatever the case 
whatever we could find. And there was this, um, there was one of the guys on the mountain um, who dropped one of the ropes and called three of us over to go ski it. And all my military buddies that I was skiing with that day. And um, so we go over and it's a couple feet of fresh snow. Started skiing that it was one turn fall, two turns fall, that type of thing. But again, it, it, and you guys have all been through this and, and that first powder experience. And um, we were just laughing and having a great time. And by the end of the day, you're soaking wet. You're riding the bus back to the, at, at that time, back to the ship um, and just soaking wet. But yet it was one of the most memorable experiences that you could ever have. And it was nothing like we ski or how, you know, the three of us, and I've seen you guys ski, how you would attack a powder run or an untrack run now. And yet now is just as much fun as it was then, or then was just as much fun as I have now. It's just at a different, um, different level. And that camaraderie, um, I always struggle with that, with that saying there are no friends on a powder day. Um, because I, I think it's just the opposite. I think being able to ski with your friends on a powder day, even make it better. I think we push each other to a higher level. We push each other faster. Um, and that's the excitement and that creates, creates more energy when we're skiing. So that's what hits really deep and at the heart to me for, um, why I love the sport. So. And Mike, what, what was your job in the military? My, job was electronics was in electronics was with a specialty in a missile system and um so nato sea scroll missile system was the uh system that i worked on it was a self-defense system and i was on board an aircraft carrier very good cool. thank you for your service yes thank absolutely you. yeah you I, I knew you were in the service but i you don't chat about it too often it's kind of that humble quiet thing you said as you just said you know not too many people know so was it one uh, just for, was it four years, six years? Six-year commitment. So a couple of years of school and then four years on board on board the carrier. So Yeah, that's awesome. So wrestlers and, and oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What part of Michigan are you from? <laughs> I, I've got to figure out how the camera is showing it. So <laughs> for me, this is the way I'm looking. Yeah, okay, Spock. Vulcan. Yeah, this is Michigan. <laughs> so yeah, I have your fingers anyway. So, uh, for me, if this is Detroit, Grand Rapids area. So it was okay. this area, southwestern corner. Um, and um, yeah, so lower peninsula. Even though people continue to believe that I'm from the UP because they say I have an accent, I never hear it. But if I say something, you'll catch something. Someone will catch something. I'm sure it'll come out. So, yeah. So I'm just curious with your with your. No, go ahead, Angel. I'm sorry, you got another. I, mean, no, I just. I don't know if I've ever told Mike this, but I, I spend a little time in Michigan in the summers. Yeah. Uh, there you so go. We we mean <laughs> I do a bicycle tour. We meet in Traverse City, and then we we shuttle up to a little town called Indian River, and then the first day we pedal up the Mackinac City, spend a couple nights ferry across a couple nights on the island, and then down to Petoskey and Charlevoix and uh, Glen Arbor to wrap it up. And it's beautiful country. Anybody who, because Michigan was never on our radar in southwestern Pennsylvania. Like when we vacationed, we always went east to the to the shore usually ocean city or something like that and 
I remember the first time I got a call to go to Michigan for a bike tour. I was like, you got to be kidding me, Michigan, like really? And I got up there and my jaw dropped for the whole trip. And I've been there. I've maybe done that trip 12 or 14 times now. And my jaw drops every time. So if you've never been to Michigan and you get the opportunity, do it. It's spectacular. Maybe not the ski. <laughs> I don't know. Produced an Alpine team member. It has to be somewhat good. But he, but he left. <laughs> well, I know, but the but the, it started there. It's the same. I mean, you'd hear it from so many of our team members have come from really small hills where it started. Um, you know, the Boyd brothers started skiing. They were PA boys and a lot of other crew. Um, Lipton, PA guy. I mean, yeah, he went elsewhere to ski, but it's neat to see the small hill, those small areas create that passion. And, um, you know, the question I wanted to ask was with your military background. And then I know wrestlers, man, you just, they're, they're just train and work hard and never stop. I mean, how important, how much of that worked into where you are now? I mean, it, it had to have, I mean, your work ethic and, and determination to get something done. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it was the wrestling. I don't know if it was my upbringing. Um, my work ethic has always been strong. Um, how it related, I remember when I moved out to remember when I moved out to Tahoe right after um, or three four months after I got out of the military. Um, it started snowing started snowing pretty early in Tahoe that year. We were we were open around Thanksgiving um, with a, with a lot of terrain open. I started off as a snowmaker, and I was working the swing shift so four to midnight. And I would, I would show up at the resort about nine or 10 in the morning. I would ski all day, every day and go to work. And when I was done, um, I think I did that for 60 or 70 days straight. And then, um, we had such a good winter that they shut snowmaking down. And then, um, then I crossed over into the ski instructor ranks and, um, but to the point where, you know, I, th I think that that focus or that drive and especially on the technical side, because like from the wrestling background, it, it was very technical where if you were sound with your, your movement patterns or your, your moves in wrestling, it would help you, it would help you become, uh, you know, better, it would help you win matches. So, um, I think on the skiing side, the faster I learned how to ski, the more terrain challenges it, it presented to me. and. I enjoyed that. So I've always found the technical elements of sports um, incredibly exciting to me. And so, um, yeah, I mean, now that you bring up the question, I never really thought of it that way before. Um, but I think I've always had a technical mindset and trying to perfect that, tech, that technical aspect. And sometimes that can be a detriment as well, because sometimes it can hold you back from letting yourself go and, and tends to create more of a robotic a robotic type of uh, personality on your skis versus the looseness and the freedom and such. So it's something that I do understand about myself that I do need to balance. And it's something that I also appreciate um, where I've taken. It, so. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so with the, um, your drive to the team, I know your, your uncle it was your uncle, right? It was, Correct. Um, was very influential in that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about him and how he encouraged you to, uh, to become a team member and teach. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great question. So 
my uncle was working at Copper Mountain the same time Sean Smith was um, Sean Smith was working there as I believe director of the school, if I remember correctly. And um, and so my uncle was had a ton of influence around team members uh, from his experiences. Then when I moved out to California, and the way I ended up in California, Tahoe was was that I called up my uncle and said, hey, can I come spend a winter on your couch? I just want to go ski, get, get out of this disciplined lifestyle. And um, so every night we would talk skiing, every single night. Um, and then when I became an instructor, it became more intense because I had exams coming up and such. And he was a DCL at the time. And so when we had those conversations, when we had those conversations, um, we continued to um, talk about his history and how he came up through the ranks. And he would give me ideas and he would talk to me a little bit about what, you know, the possibilities or the opportunities were. And he saw a lot of potential in, um, in, in me and how I, how, I, how I improved just for the few first few months I was out there. So at that time, Toward the end of that first year, I was out in Tahoe. He and I went to the PSI Western Spring Convention together, and we skied. We were skiing in all the same clinics, and the format was a three-day format. You take a clinic in the morning, you switch clinicians for the afternoon, so it was a two-clinic day. And I was able to go out and ski with a couple of team members, and and so my uncle kind of already knew who the team members were, and. Um, one of the most memorable memorable clinics that stood out to me was when I went out with Dave Manitor. And so um, so having that influence, my uncle and helping him guide me um, into seeing the best of the best and how they clinic and teach and what we learned from them. And, the, and not only what we learned, but how much fun we had with those team members as well. So yeah, I was just, I was just wondering, Mike, the, you know, making the team is an absolutely amazing, tremendous achievement in itself. But is that to you the the most the biggest achievement or thing that you've accomplished as a ski teacher? Is there is there something else that stands out that matches that or comes close or maybe even is bigger than that? Um, you know, I think the team is I think the team is incredibly important to me and and where I've ended up. It's to me, it's been the journey along the way to make the team. Um, because it, it, I, I didn't make the team the first two tryouts, two first two attempts, and I know a lot of people can attest to this. And yet, those first two tryouts in 2000, 2004, I, I met a ton of people through that process. And so, when we talk about achievements, it was, yeah, I think some of the bigger achievements were one, digging deep inside and taking feedback. And, and figuring out what to do with that feedback. And I've, I've said it before um, that I believe that the team or this process has made me a better person. Then, um, and that's something that um, I think is a, a bigger achievement than making the team. And then um, along the way, I, I met a wonderful lady teaching skiing and um my wife was in grad school when we met, and um, this was at Alpine Meadows back in uh, 2001. And so, um, 
that's where uh, that's where we met. And then a couple of years later, we were married. And um, so, it, and again, all of this was because of the journey to make the team. So when we talk about achievements. I look at those being the achievements more so than making the team. And yet, I hope that the team leads me to other achievements along the way. So um, the team is part of it and not necessarily the biggest achievement. And I'm incredibly proud to be a three-time three-time team member too, because um, it, it's by any means, it has not been easy along the way. And, and it continues to challenge me every single day. So. Yeah. I, I know Angela would, must love that answer because i mean angela loves the experience and and learning from the experience and and creating those i mean that's kind of your gig angela with the you know being out there i mean i'll shut up go ahead shut now i have to say something yeah <laughs> I, was hoping, I was hoping you'd ramble for a little bit i could i could ramble a little more i just i know you're ready i mean <laughs> now we know, I we know you can ramble yeah um, i know no, I, I think I think that's the hallmark. Everything you said just Mike just now is the hallmark of somebody who's paying attention to the process. You know, it. it I watch folks go for um, any goal, um, and 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 typically, like in our line of work, it's typically somebody shooting for level two, level three, and they equate uh, success at that event as success and until and unless that's achieved they don't appreciate the other stuff along the way and i just i like that you're you're paying attention to the other stuff you know i i i just i think it brings a richness to the experience that some people miss out on you know what i mean by that and and, and that, i think that's to be applauded because you know that i haven't made the team i haven't tried out for the team but it can't be the biggest thing there, there there's got to be other things that are big and connections with people that's got to be the biggest yeah i mean that's what life's about so because it's hard when we're not successful with our goals and and then we go through that we go through that um if you will you can call it the sarah principle or whatever where you get the shock the anger resentment etc but then the healing process starts taking place but that time that we begin to start processing why we didn't make the team. Maybe it wasn't, maybe I wasn't the right fit for that team. Maybe my scheme wasn't there. Maybe my, for me, it was my people skills weren't there the first couple of times around. Once, once we, once I start seeing people and once for myself that I've experienced that and went through that stage of processing, that's where the real learning took place. But that's, we, we've got to allow for that processing stage to take place to be able to allow people to be successful. That's when we start seeing the learning. That's when we start seeing people elevating themselves to the next level. And yet we all have to go through that, those other, those other elements of, of not being successful in order to ramp up that learning and or heighten that learning, heighten that awareness. And I think once that's achieved, then we can then we can start making the step to the next level. And um, if we get stuck in one of those areas, then we may not ever be able to move forward from that. And, and that would be unfortunate. The people that I see, and, and this is a great thing about our organization, so often coming out of that process, people are, you know, they may be upset or myself, I was upset. I was unsure of which path I should go, you know, when I was younger. 
And then once I, once I started figuring things out, it, I just set different goals for myself. And then I was able to achieve, achieve the goal of making the team. And, and, and it's, man, it's just, yeah, it's an accomplishment and um, it's a great accomplishment. And I don't want to under, I don't want to undersell that either. Um, and it brings a lot of emotions with it. And, um, and it's, it is, it, it, it is a great thing to be a part of. And it's also a great thing to be part of that trial process. And I've met so many people through that process where I feel like I can go East coast to West coast. And I know so many people across, across the U S that, that I can connect with. If, if, if I need to give someone a call and say, Hey, coming your way, you know, can we, can we connect or whatever the case um, there, there's opportunity there. So um, that's, I think what brings that our organization brings people together over 3000 miles. And that's pretty special. That's a cool journey. Go ahead, Ange. How, how would you describe your role or your contribution on this team? Oh, on this team, I, I'm, I feel like a little bit more of a mentor than ever before. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like, which I think is a natural process. Um, and it is because of those experiences. Um, and I also believe that I, I kind of, I feel more like the technical element to this team where I, 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 by all means, not a big mountain skier. Most of the mountains that I've worked at have been fairly flat. I, um, I'm, I, it's great when we get trips to the larger mountains, like when we're going to Academy this year in big sky, um, you know, when I get on the, tr- when I get on terrain like that, I, I get anxiety when we're standing up there on steep, long runs and, and I love it. And so my comfort level isn't nearly um, what it is there as what it would be on Vail when I'm on Ramshorn or, or Avanti and something where we're going to lay down some technical or technical and accurate type of turns. And that's what I'm going to coach. So, um, so, but yeah, I think this time more around it's, it's the, you know, being a mentor and, helping out where I can, giving input where I can and um, trying to, trying to be one of the, you know, trying to use my experiences to help this team move forward. And that was one of the questions we wanted to ask you was, was how can you help some of the folks out there that, you know, to be better mentors, you know, how can we help support those around us? I mean, it's kind of a big thing here in the East. We're trying to mentor some of our next core crew that's in the younger realm. And, you know, I don't think it should be just the crew that volunteered off the head step. I think it's a lot of people in the locker room and, and just some advice that maybe you could give them on how to go about that and support that. I, I think we've been sharing with this conversation. I think we've been sharing it is the three of us bring a lot of experience into this industry. And if we can share those experiences with those folks in the locker room and draw from those experiences to help people move forward, I think that's, I think that's huge. Um, whether that's experiences of building a clientele, um, becoming certified, um, building relationships across the U.S., um, it, I, that's that's a crux of being a mentor. And and there are you know there are challenges and there are wins along the way. And you know I start to think and I start to think of the, what those conversations look like when I have a group of level three certified candidates out there who are wondering maybe how to make this a career 
that seems to be a really hot topic right now. And how do we keep people, how do we keep people in that late 20s, early 30s stage in this, in this association as a career? And, and there are mountains that I think have the business to help support that. And then there are other mountains that I think that um, it, maybe it's a little bit more of a part-time, um, maybe it's more a little bit more of a part-time business. But how do we take our experiences and get people to um, give them the knowledge to help them move forward with their goals? And um, and so, whether yeah, like I said, whether that's from passing an exam or whether that's building a clientele and um, being successful that way. So um, that's the way I look at it. And um, yeah, and then trying to be as positive as, as you can, because, you know, there's nothing's perfect. And there's been a lot of conversation about um, where ski resorts are heading and, you know, this and that. And we can either draw from the negative or we can draw from the positives and continue to move forward. And the one thing that is consistent about this business is that it's inconsistent and it's continually evolving because we all work for, we all work for resorts that want to make money. And our goal, our job, you know, we need to, we, we, we want to support our clientele and we can continue to grow our business, which then helps support the resort and create lifelong skiers. And that's the secret to the success. Um, so um, anyways, I feel like I'm rambling on right now, but that's kind of where I'm at. So well, that's good though. And that keeps Angela and I, Angela sort of keep me from rambling. And then it, the people really want to listen to Mike. They don't want to listen to KS and company. They just want to listen to you guys. But um, when it comes to, I imagine you've had a few mentors. We know your uncle um, was one of your mentors and you kind of described that relationship. Um, some, some other folks that maybe have mentored you along the way, has it always been kind of like your uncle that, you know, he kind of helped you along or was it, did you have to search some folks out? Did you go looking for some certain folks and say, Hey, can you help me out? I've got some questions. I'm just thinking for some folks that we hear a lot that like, we don't have anyone to look to. And I was just curious how you reached out or did everyone reach out to you? Um, actually, I I feel like I reached out to people. Um, so first of all, at many different levels, so peer to peer level, let's say. So I've had um, when I've gone through the process, I've always had a buddy to go through the process with. So I remember level three. It was Aaron Rosen and John Juba, and we were all at North Star at the time. Um, we were training, we were, we were continuing to move forward through the level three process. Um, Jose Lacoste was one of those, one of those folks that, um, was in that, in that grouping with us. Um, we were peer to peer mentors. Um, we helped, we helped put together tech talks. We helped put together training days. We pushed each other to be better. So that was one form of mentor mentoring each other. Um, once I got beyond level three. Um, then I sought out some other people where I, I remember joining Chris fellows on one of his North American ski training center trips and, and going to that as a client. And so it was up in Whistler and I was able to ski with Steve smart for the week. So, um, skiing with Steve and, and Steve smart was on the Canadian team at the time. So gathering some information from him, bending his ear and then Chris fellows and, um, and I, and 
we're still very tight is that, um, you know, drawing from his experiences. And then he made the team, he made the team, uh, I think he made the team two terms before I did. So 2000, I think is when he made it. And um, continuing to try to feed and, and gather information from him and help ask him for coaching. So then I started reaching out. And um, when I started going through the regional team process and then the national team process, Kevin Mitchell was another buddy that I, that I leaned on and asked for help and helped me train and and um, as another mentor to make that next step. Um, so, um, and then when I start thinking about this past team, um, this trial, this past team tryout, I would rely on on other supervisors and managers um, for feedback and feedback in different areas. And it for me, it did not matter what level of certification someone brought to the table. What, what I found is I would, I would set up a scenario and then ask for feedback in one specific area that was easy to, that was easy to identify as black and white as possible. So whether that was in my skiing, whether that was in my presentations, whatever the case, point being though, is that we have so many intelligent people that are in this industry and in this organization that if we go into the more we can go into our conversations to create dialogue and seek understanding or seek um, information from one another or try to reach out to people and be a be an active listener, the more we can learn about ourselves as well. So, um, so I think there's a lot to that. There's a lot. There was a lot um, involved in this conversation or this answer. And um, but mentors, we've got to have mentors along the way and. You can find mentors in in some of the most unique places that um, you just don't need someone as a team member to be a mentor if you're trying to get to the team. You can grab someone. There are other people that are good at delivering indoor presentations or delivering um, on hill clinics, and you can get feedback from a lot of different um, a lot of different people if you pay attention. He's he's processing. He's ready. This is where I have to ramble a little bit. He's processing his question. There you go, Angel. <laughs> <laughs> you give me too much credit. <laughs> I have to. That's what I'm a team member. I got to support you. You know, somehow come up with something for you. <laughs> I, I I I have I have always found value in looking outside of whatever for lack of a better word organization i'm involved with at the moment so like for example you're on your path to the national team you're on your path to divisional ed staff you're on your path to level two we have a we have a a a three-faceted model that that dictates what we do as as snow sports instructors right so it makes sense to get help on your on your technical skills from somebody in the field, right? But it's not limited to that. And we talked about the value of wrestling and football to the development of your athletic skills in skiing or snowboarding or whatever. But, you know, I just think it makes a lot of sense to look outside of organizations because I'll never forget, Dave, you probably remember this. 
uh, Pete Allison came to our ed staff training a couple of years ago. Maybe it was three years ago. It was right before the shutdowns. And he, he kicked off his presentation to the Eastern Division Ed staff by, I mean, he, he's fully invested in what we do in, in PSIA, ASI, but he said, we're in danger of becoming a mutual appreciation society, <laughs> <laughs> right? Where you just sit around and talk, tell each other how great you are. And yeah. but, but the point is, two thirds of what we do isn't specific to snow sports. You know, one, one third of what we do is people skills and another third of what we do is teach. And so I've always liked the idea of going outside of whatever organization you're in to look for, you know, advice or mentors or whatever points of interest elsewhere. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that because you're going to hear perspectives that certainly you haven't considered and probably haven't been considered very much in your in your organization as a whole. I like that idea, Mike, of like, you know, you have a lot, it's a team effort. All, everything we do is a team effort, you know? That's all I had to I want, say. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to follow that with, you know, part of that team is, I, I know my team, I mean, you said, was it 2001? You met, um, now your wife, but met her, I think it was, you said 2001 and shortly after, and then, you know, how much has that been a support system, a mentor, a push for you through the years, and especially to go for the third term after taking a term off? Well, first of all, she told me that the only way she would marry me is if I was a better skier than her, and she's a pretty darn good skier. So <laughs> I had to keep working up my go. skills there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just remembering a story with her. Yeah, remembering some time back because she's also a pretty good snowboarder. And when she took me out snowboarding and kind of ran me into the ground. So that's a whole nother story. Another day. So <laughs> anyways, um, no, you know, it's it's important to have that support network. It's it has it had to be a mutual agreement. It wasn't um, I wasn't moving forward without a conversation with her because right, because it it my travel schedule impacts her and the kids now that we have. And um, so it, it's, it's a mutual thing. And as the kids get older here, that becomes, you know, more challenging and, and wanting to spend more time with the kids or needing to spend more time with the kids is important. So, so we, we have to find that balance and, um, and yeah, over the last couple of years, I made some changes to find that balance and team was part of those changes or to try out for the team again. So I could make the changes that, it, that I needed. So I could balance uh, family and family and on snow on snow uh, uh, commitments. So, um, so yeah, and yeah, the third term. It um, a, as you brought up, it was yeah. I took a term off and thought I was going a different direction six years ago. Um, decided that this is where my passion lies in this direction, and so um, taking a term off made it incredibly challenging to come back and. There've been a handful of people that have been successful coming back for, for after a term off and, um, and yeah, it, it was not the easiest. Um, it was not the easiest tryout because of that. And so, um, but anyways, here we are. So yeah. the cards played out. That's good. And um, you've talked a lot 
that I've seen some things and uh, come out on George Thomas's podcast. You talked with him. I think it was in some of the written two of your, of meet the meet my K for team member about the connections and, and making the connections and through the tryout, um, you were definitely trying to connect with everybody. And, and I think that's something that I've noticed you've done since I met you back in, I think it was two twelve when I tried out, when you were there trying out that um, you definitely do have that ability to connect with everybody. And um, I was just curious if you can, talk with that a little bit, talk to us about that a little bit in terms of how that's developed. And, and I am curious now, which I knew you were in the military, but I'm wondering, as you talked about that camaraderie and like the powder day, you know, that you want your friends there in a powder day. I mean, how much has the military and that team and, and working close together with all of them, has that shaped and formed you to be able to make those connections now? Well, there's so much packed into that question. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> um, where do I want to start? Uh, let me let me first start with with um, with this disclaimer. Um, I don't connect with everyone. I wish I did. There are some people that that I still struggle with, and I and I for myself, I, I've got to say, I I um, I'm not perfect by any means, and um, and I still blow it. And it's still something that um, when I blow it, I get very uncomfortable uh, or get uncomfortable with because I feel like as a team member and maybe a little bit of my perfectionism or who, when I think I have to be a perfectionist, um, when I blow it, I feel, I feel guilty. I feel bad. And sometimes I've got to let that go because like I was saying, I, I can't be perfect. And, um, and my goal is to connect with as many people as I can because that's what we do. And it, it, this is a social sport. It, it's a social environment. So back to the military, I do not believe the military. Um, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but um, <laughs> I, my experiences, I don't believe the military um, helped me with those connections or helped me create connections or understand how to create connections. In fact, it was a lot of, here you go, here are 40 people. And you guys have, and it was all guys at the time. So you guys have to get along. This is your goal. It was the common goal or the common ground, the common um, outcomes that um, that put everybody in that room. And and um, yeah, that I don't think it created strong connections. Um, some of the feedback I received after my two thousand tryout. Um, was it'd be great if you could get get in front of people more often and in different circumstances. And so, um, what I what I found out about myself then is that being a leader, being a leader from the standpoint of um, being a people leader when you're leading groups, when you're leading clinics, when you're when you're on the snow, it's not about being command oriented or giving directives. It's very much about digging deeper and finding out what others' wants, needs, and goals, outcomes are, and then being able to be flexible and adjustable and um, adaptable to what someone else needs. So what someone else's needs are. And, and I also think it's about being vulnerable and something that I've been getting better at that, I, that is still a goal. So I guess if I say it here, it's going to hold me accountable is that often I will ask how the clinic or how the lesson is going. Um, 
but I'll ask it midday of the lesson. If it's an all day lesson, ask it midday of a lesson or ask it partway through the lesson. And I found that sometimes it catches people by surprise that they, um, that they're surprised that I'm asking that question because, because like I said, I'm, I'm not perfect. And sometimes I'm off base and sometimes it's pretty difficult to hear the feedback that, Hey, I, and maybe that's one of the pieces of the feedback that I hear is that I'm not getting enough individualized feedback at this moment in time. Can you adjust that? And as long as I come through and adjust that, then we have a positive outcome when it comes to that lesson plan or that clinic. So that can be very, like I said, it can (laughs) feedback like that can be very nerve wracking. It can be very uncomfortable and yet it shows a lot of vulnerability and it shows that, um, um, that you care. And so, yeah, that's, that's just one tactic that I, that I've used. And I, and I don't just use it as a tactic. I use it because my goal is to create the best on snow experience that I can with the larger picture that if we can get more people coming back and involved in our association, then we, we are going to be successful because um, when I hear things in the locker room, like we don't have enough instructors and I'm working 30 days in a row and I need a day off, we have an opportunity to have an impact on that, a larger opportunity um, by how many people we can get involved in our association. So, so um, it, it, I just don't rely on, and maybe that's some of my experiences coming off of the manager position, but it's also, I think some of my experiences that um are coming from uh, trainings and whatnot. So um, anyways, I feel like I'm rambling again, but that's, that's kind of the, where my head space is at. Would you put yourself in, would you, I just wanted to ask a quick, would you consider yourself an extrovert or introvert? Oh, I, uh, I tend to draw energy from outside and um, I have a tough time. I have a tough time bringing energy, bringing energy out to the group. So very I have eight different people who have never met each other before and have to help try to create that dynamic. So, so <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Very good question. <laughs> people, people are funny because they, they think all of us are just these big extrovert, you know, and go out and, and then a lot of us are not. Yeah. No. A lot of teachers aren't extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. Mike, what's your day to day now? Like, like aside from the team, tell the folks who are listening what you do, what what your job is. So, um, I made a I made a career decision uh, last November, and so not just a few months ago, and I moved from I moved out of a senior manager position in a ski school to um, teaching on the front line again. And so, my day to day, just as an example, um, today I was out with two eight year old twins. And, um, and their sister, um, who is 11 and I was managing, I was managing, um, the, the two boys <laughs> with their sister and, you know, there was a split, um, sister and one of the brothers were much faster than, uh, than the third. And so how do you keep them all excited? And, um, in addition to that, uh, their past experiences, maybe by some family members, have brought them into some steeper terrain, and so all they wanted to do were ski to ski, or all they wanted to do was ski blacks and double blacks. And um, skill set wasn't quite there with the confidence. So, 
um, that's what the day-to-day looked like today. And so, or, or for today, and that's what my day-to-day has been looking like. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's pretty fascinating. And I, for me, it's understandable just by my personality um, that, that people, some people, when they look at me, they don't look at me as a kid's instructor. And yet I will teach, I will teach whatever comes my way. So uh, beginning of the year, I had, I had a three and five-year-old beginners to start, to start off with. Um, and then I've taught folks that are older than us on this call here. So, um, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> are, are, are there, are there folks older than us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so yeah. So now I show up to work, I, I grab whatever comes my way and I go out and teach somebody the best I can and, um, hope they improve and, and want to show them uh, the fun part of skiing as well. So that's what I do. What's your, um, what's your go-to ski? Oh, go-to ski is the blizzard HRC. Mm, I have seen you on that quite a bit in the photos. (laughs) That's uh, (laughs) a, if you don't know, that's a 76 millimeter underneath the foot ski. So I do love that one. That is a fine ski. You have been on the WRC a little bit though, Angela. And what did you call that ski when you get on it? Uh, ski is a monster. Uh, <laughs> actually, that ski is in the shop right now at the resort because I made some bad decisions last week and <laughs> lots of core shots. So that, yeah, that that ski is in the hospital right now. But the HRC is a terrific ski. Yeah. Well, well, so I, I say the HRC, and maybe it's just because it's this year because. Um, this year has been pretty rough on equipment and I, I <laughs> I'm sit, seeing that ski in the background there, that Brahma. The Brahma's and, right there. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And I will share with you that when I was at Breckenridge, um, the Brahma is such a good um, ski for Breckenridge. So it depends on the mountain I'm on. Um, it also depends on the year and snow conditions. And it feels like the HRC is this year. And I've got to say, Dave, if you haven't skied it, or Angelo, if you haven't skied it yet, next year's Brahma, it's mm. um, it's it's the real deal. So uh, cool, yeah, and uh, yeah. So we've we got are, some good skis. We've got we some good happy, skis coming out. We're both year. happy to demo that ski. Yeah, we're gonna have to get a hold of Joe. Maybe Joe wanna, will send us a pair to try, man. <laughs> I don't. Hey, I don't want to. Just... I don't want to speak for my partner, but I think we both yeah. ski it. Hey, where? Where's my K for in fifteen years? Oh, I'm retired living off my Vail lifetime pass. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. (laughs) We'll all be skiing together. We'll be skiing together on our lifetime pass. Angel's got a few more years than you and me, Mike. You got one more year? One year. I should have it. I've got my years in. They're going through their arbitration stuff. So I'm hoping to get that. Um, How do you like your ski tune? Oh, um, We'll call it three degrees on the edge and the base bevel changes depending on the ski. So slalom HRC, I tend to run with a 0.7. And then um, as I get wider, it'll go to a one degree um, from the Brahma up. So Brahma and Rustler, I'll run a one degree. And that's a Rustler 10. So, And I've seen your boots. They've been at the airport. You had them. There was some animal or something that that (laughs) was sitting next to their back. I think it was in December or whenever. Um, what's your boot you're riding in? Oh, it's the world cup one thirty. Yeah. 
Yeah. So just the 130, and, huh? Troy's well, at 150. <laughs> good question. Let me clarify that since you brought it up. Um, when I moved to Colorado, it was pretty easy to go to the 130 because the temperatures out here tend to keep that boot a little bit stiffer. Um, the 150 is a good boot. And um, when I was in Tahoe, um, I liked it because of the warmer temps. But out here, the 130, because it gives me a little bit more versatility in the in the um in the terrain. So, yeah. And I know you like to uh, chat. You said you've reached out to folks for questions, answers and, and stuff. If you could sit down with anybody, if you could choose anybody anywhere, who would you want to sit down and chat with now? Yeah. Anybody anywhere. Yeah. Hmm. Other than Angela Ross. <laughs> well, Definitely you two guys. I, and by the way, I was so flattered that you two guys called me up and said, Hey, um, is it, you know, can you give us some time? So thank you very much because, um, I think these are so important because, um, like I said, from the experiential standpoint, hearing other, each other's experiences, I think that can, uh, that, that helps all of us grow. So, um, one person that I think I could sit down and chat with is going to be Warren Buffett. So I could figure out how to manage my money differently so I could retire in 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> then, he can, then he can afford to eat and do everything else, Angel, on that lifetime pass. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Um, so you're an avid cyclist on mountain bike and road. Um, you've talked about that um, on other platforms. Um, how much of that is your training program? Like I, I know because I've heard you before, I know you, you spend a little other time gym and other stuff. And I'm just curious as to your balance there and how much is biking and how much is in the gym, other stuff you do. Yeah. So as soon as the roads start clearing off here, um, which I think is usually July in Summit County, um, you can laugh at that. That was kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because <laughs> the winters <laughs> are really short here. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I, on my road between my road and mountain bike, I get about a thousand to three thousand miles a summer on um, on the two bikes, depend, depending on how I um, change on and off, and um, try to hit that for the for, especially for the endurance portion um, during the summer. Um, and then um, sometimes on the trainer, I, I I tend to get really bored on a trainer, so I have a tough time on the trainer. But I, I like the Zwift um, the Zwift program; it keeps me motivated. Um, and I've been a little slacking at it this year, but, um, so that's, that's one of the training programs, um, beginning in October, September, October, usually September. Uh, that's when I start, um, hitting the gym again and usually run through the gym. Um, uh, and it's just a couple nights a week for the months leading into the ski season. And then, um, last year I was, last year I was really good where I kept going, um, two nights a week throughout the season. Again, this year has been slacking my uh, my travel schedule and and other things have gotten in the way a little bit. But um, yeah, that's that's where I, I, you, you've got to. I, I I believe you've got to mix up uh, the strength training with the endurance training, um, and keep that going. And then the cross training in between. So we talk about road biking and mountain biking. Um, the, the mountain biking allows me to a feel for the terrain that the road bike doesn't give me, and yet the the road bike gives me the the power and the strength, especially when you're, I, I have some rides around here where I can, I can climb 3000 feet right out of my front door, um, on the road and it's consistent. Um, so 
it's that combination that keeps me going. Um, and then the other, in addition to that, I try to get out and play hockey every once in a while too, to keep me, uh, keep me entertained and keep me busy. But for me, I, whether I'm ADD, who knows, but I, I, I really don't like the gym that much. I think, I think just think it's so such a closed environment. I would rather be out on the road, smelling the fresh air or, you know, playing, playing a game of hockey or something like that, that, um, helps me stay in shape. So I, yeah, I just have a tough time when I'm, I'm focused and, and I know I still need the gym work and my wife is a physical therapist. So I have her to stay on me. Oh, <laughs> and, there you go. So, um, she helps guide me and, and uh, motivate me. So there yeah. we go. Yeah. I had, I had to get a physical therapist to come talk to Angela about that skateboarding on his ramp there. Cause his wife wasn't getting him off the ramp. <laughs> and, and you know what? Neither did the physical therapist. No, we can't tell that unless she's listening. Don't tell Margie. No, she's not no, she she got she got me off of there for six months. That's what that's oh. that was the agreement, and that's what we did. You feel well, impressed for it. Yeah. It, it? Is that a is that a deck? Or are there oh, there's a couple decks in your background there? A couple decks there. Yeah, there's a yeah. Uh, there's a uh, vision Mark Gonzalez. That that was the when we when we first started to skate back in the early eighties, that was the first pro model I bought was a Mark Gonzalez. And it was, it was that graphic and it was a gray paint. It was beautiful. It's probably why I love gray to this day. And then there's a, there, there's a 19, I think it's a 1987 Steve Caballero from pal. I just love the colors of that one. It's like a metallic copper and, and a, and that teal, dragon but that like that art was pretty important to us when we were kids and i i still have an affinity for that that style um yeah yeah i just i love the vibe of that yeah that one's <laughs> sticking out to me so yeah uh, and you have to try his deck if you skateboard he's got a cool little deck and you know the ramp in his backyard there that's pretty cool what you built angela and it was hard for him not to be on that for six months it was yeah but uh you know in injuries are uh, injuries will compel you to sit still for a while if they're if they're good enough and i was going to ask you mike like how how do you how do you this time of year we're getting into march like so how do you how do you physically keep yourself going because you know you you've, you're under a lot of microscopes when you're on the team and performance is a is a real deal so how do you how do you keep it keep it up yeah um so it's been a long time since I taught since I taught year round. It's been a dozen years, I think. So, um, and exactly the question that you're bringing up is something that's a hot topic in the locker room right now. Is that um, I feel the season catching up to me. I I feel uh, I'm getting tired, and so I I have to manage my schedule. And I don't do it well. I I make sure that I get a day off here and there because there has to be recovery time. If um, it, and I know it's been tough, uh, both physically and mentally. That's where we get run down. That's where we get into trouble. So um, I sneak a few days in there, here, here and there. And like last week, I was able to get out with um, with my kids. But I feel you know it's an active rest day, but it, but it feels lazy. But then we also need that mental recovery too to stay fresh because back to your point about being under a microscope, it's not just about um, uh, 
every turn that you make, but it's also your presentation. So um, it, it's it's got to be on. And yep, I get tired. I get tired at this time of year, and so I, I've I'm I think pretty methodical about how I take days off and when I take days off. So, so um, what makes you smile when you watch skiing? What is what is the oh. uh, in good skiing that you go? Wow, that's some good turns right there. That's amazing coming down that run. What is it that excites you in good in skiing? The ski bends with purpose, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter the conditions of terrain. So, cool. So, uh, Angela, any fun stuff to finish up by? <laughs> um, you know, I had the the, the cool one. I, I you know I thought this would be a question at the end. Mike about, you know, being a lifelong learner and, you know, how have you evolved? And I think you, you answered that a lot through this podcast already um, to folks and learning from the experience and you've had some bumps on the road and you talked about how you came back from them. So I thought that was cool just in the regular conversation uh, for folks to understand that. And uh, Angela, what do you got? Like his favorite beer or something? I know you always have a couple of cool questions to finish That's up. Actually, man. actually a real question tonight. Oh, if, if you had to ask a technical skiing question, who would you ask? If you had to ask a question about how to interact with people, who would you ask? And if you had a question about teaching, who would you ask? So I for the technical, I would go right to Michael Rowan or Jonathan Ballou. Um, the teaching, I would go to, would maybe go to Zoe Mavis mm-hmm. and, uh, for the people skills, Robin Barnes <laughs> for team members, for peers. Sure. Now. When I look at other things, um, when I look at um, when I look at from a teaching perspective, I would also look at um, Michael Porter and um, people skills. I would start to look at um, oh, let me think about that one just for a second. But Nina Michael, who is a training manager at Breckenridge. Um, she, she connects with everyone. Um, and then, um, yeah, so there's just a few names in there that, um, just a few names in there that I, I would, I would talk to. So what do you, what do you like about the way Zoe teaches? Um, she's very thoughtful and methodical about her approach. And so she seems to put together, she seems to put together the puzzle in in a really neat fashion and that's something that draws my attention so yeah that's excellent yeah so really cool and um please thank your wife and kids for having letting us have some of your time tonight when you get home from work um it's awesome i mean the folks out there angela and i get a ton of feedback um of of how much they enjoy um that we have guests on here from the team the team has been amazing um, especially the Blizzard Technica crew and uh, Blizzard Technica has been um, really supportive of the podcast this year, uh, Joe Sipe and the program. So that's been awesome to have them as sponsors and also uh, Nick's boot fitting over at Mount Snow. Um, it's been great. I know you might, you must know Nick Blalek, don't you? Mike, do you, have you met Nick? 
I have not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome dude. I've known him for a long time and definitely a supporter of the podcast. He's kind of works a lot with the technical group, but, um, I suggest yeah, cool supporters. Here when, when Mike comes in for master's Academy, we yeah. get her with Mike and, and Nick. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you haven't met, but wow. um, yeah, it's been great. And it's, uh, it's neat. It, it, a lot of folks just come to us and, and um, we've heard a lot from down in Angelo's neck of the woods that um, it's just neat for a lot of times they never have connection with the team. And this has been one of their avenues to connect with a lot of the team members through this. So we really appreciate your time. I know our listeners do. So thank you a bunch. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because um, I enjoy this and it's uh, yeah. It, it it's really hard for me sometimes to, to chat about these things. And, and you guys are good about drawing out some information. And I hope it's, um, I hope it's valuable to folks, you know, when we look at, especially like the question around being a mentor, um, hopefully they will find common ground or maybe some experiences to draw from that. Uh, they can say, Hey, um, you know, the guys at the top are still struggling with, you know, or, or still continue to try to develop their people skills or their teaching skills. And, and, and technical skills it just because you're at one level doesn't mean you you stop learning and um and that's important so cool and Thanks my favorite my favorite beer is rip beer and um and if the <laughs> pizza is gone i'm going to text both you guys right after this. <laughs> we'll have to call, we'll have to call somebody out there and have a pizza delivered won't we yeah oh man you know, and well, enjoy bye. it and looking forward to seeing you in big sky in a couple of weeks and uh, uh be safe. maybe we'll maybe we'll do that remote where you're out there angela i just have to we'll have to do something we wanted to do it last year we'll have to try to do some something when you're out there we'll do a podcast while you're there talking to some of the crew or whatever that we'll figure something out yeah that would be really cool but uh thanks everybody we've had mike kafer alpine team member third term on with us tonight and also thanks to our sponsors blizzard technica and nick's boot fitting over at mount snow without all their support we probably would not be able to keep this thing going which is really cool um thanks everybody this has been the fall line with chaos and company